good to have you all here. You can go ahead and have a seat. Thanks for being here. How's everybody doing? Good. It's a beautiful day outside. We thank God for that. But you know what the cool thing is? That even if it was muggy and gloomy and uh, dirty outside, we could thank God for that too. Because in everything, good or bad with the weather, good or bad with life, we can say blessed be the name of the Lord because His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. Um, and we just we want to trust Him. And so that's what we want to say this morning as we open up our hearts. And that last song becomes our prayers, just that He would open up the heavens and open up our hearts to be filled with praise to Him. Um, and so that's why we're here, is to glorify our God. Um, we're going to pray, and we're going to continue in our worship. There's going to be two offerings today. Uh, the second one is going to be the building fund. Um, but we want to acknowledge that God has given us an abundance and give back to Him with a joyful heart. So let's pray together. Father, we just are thankful that we are here. We, th- we are thankful that You say we're two or three are gathered in your name, you are there in their midst. And so, God, just thank you that when Jesus died, the veil was torn and your presence was available to us. So I pray that we would sit, God, with humble hearts, acknowledging that we can't save ourselves. Father, I, I pray that uh, as you promised to, to meet us where we're at, we are here as we are. I pray that all the masks would come off this morning, that we would be honest with ourselves and honest with you where we sit this morning. Um, Father, thank you for loving us no matter what. Um, We want to receive the grace of Jesus Christ this morning and and worship him and glorify him. So I just beg you, God, that as we sing now and as we give back to you with joyful hearts, um, that your glory would be seen, uh, that we would see a glimpse of who you are. Um, So, Father, we just want to open our hearts to you. We love you and we need you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for the freedom that we have. Thank you for the freedom that we have from shame and the freedom that we have from guilt, freedom that we have from sin. Thank you for this time that you've given us to just prepare our hearts for what Nick has to say to us this morning. I pray that you will just lead him in um, what he's teaching us and what he has to say. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. And I am, I'm um, very thankful um, that we can say and that one of the things that Jesus offers is freedom. Um, because even for us who have been, I've been saved since I was five, technically. I didn't really start following Jesus till I was 17. Um, but uh, when I first responded to Jesus, I was terrified of hell. I was like, I do not want to go there. So what do, what do I need? What do I need to do? I need to respond to Jesus. Um, and so, but since then, there's been a lot of things in my life that have held me captive, right? Um, it's just like the, the Egyptians uh, held the Israelites in slavery for 400 years. And then the, the Israelites um, were sent uh, a... a uh, somebody by God, Moses, to bring them out of slavery. And so Moses brings them out of slavery, and then they walk in the wilderness, and all of a sudden, like, immediately they're thankful, and they're praising God, and, uh, and they're free, right? And so when we first come to Jesus, freedom sounds like a really good thing. But then after we sit in it for a while, it almost becomes stale, right? And God, every day in the wilderness for the Israelites, provided manna. He said, he said, here's your manna for the day. I want you to go out and gather it, but I don't want you to save any for the next day. Because why? I want you to depend on me for what you need for the next day. So after the day is over, if you, when you've gotten your fill, when you've eaten what you wanted, you throw the rest away. You don't save any till tomorrow. And if they did that, they waited till the morning. If they tried to save it till the morning, it was rotten and no good. But God provided for them what they needed for that day, right? And so they were excited at the beginning. But then after a while, their freedom got a little stale, and they were like, God, why do we have to keep eating this junky manna all the time, right? I mean, how do we do that in life? How do I do that? We tend to get stale after a while, and we we start to like, man, I'm thankful for my freedom, but man, it was better back there in slavery. Like the Israelites were like, I want to go back to Egypt. Why would you want to go back to slavery? But they were like, hey, we, we, we got three meals a day. 
We had to work our butt off and we got whipped every day. (laughs) Which makes absolutely no sense to me. We trade pain and suffering and we desire to go back to, to slavery when Jesus offers real freedom. And so I love that song. I mean, I am set free. But the question is, do I live in that freedom? Do, am I thankful for that freedom even though I've been saved since I was five? Even though I've known who Jesus was? And I think for a lot of people, a lot of people who have been in church for their whole life, I think that's where we get, right? Are you there this morning? Is your freedom in Christ, is that like an exciting thing to you? Are you excited about it? I mean, do you want to occupy your street with that message? Or is it boring to you? Has Jesus just become like, uh, give me what I want when I want it, and if you don't, whatever? Like, or is your freedom about what is happening in your heart and you're excited about that? That's, I mean, you just got to think about that. Because we sing that song, and we worship, and we raise our hands and everything, but do we really believe it? Right? Because if we believe it, that freedom is something that we knew we needed and that we should know that else that we run into on a daily basis needs. Because captivity is a horrible place to stay, right? There's no peace in captivity. There's no freedom in captivity. And yet so many of us who have known Jesus for a long time still desire to go back to slavery for some reason. So that's our prayer, is that we would live in freedom. Our mission statement here at Creekside is... um, And just by the sheer fact that I just shared that with you, I'm going to go over. So just get over it. All right. It's it's never a good thing to open a message with like, hey, I'm going to go long. So you can sleep now. I'll wake you up when when we're done. Right. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm going to try not to. All right. Our mission statement here at Creekside is leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus. When you walk in, boom, you see it right up there on the wall. Um, And so we we talk about occupying your street and... um, the individual way that we want you to leave from here and occupy your street is to go out and tell everybody in your life about Jesus, right? But we also want to occupy our street as, as a church. And um, the, the way that we want to say our strategy is, and here's the thing. I need to apologize for you because I need to talk about this way more often. You know what our um, mission statement is. But I, I, I fear that you have no idea what our strategy for that is, all right? So here it is. I'm going to talk about this way more often. As much as I talk about Occupy Your Street, this is going to sound like a broken record. But I want you to know three things that are our strategy that we want every single person sitting in this room to be a part of. The first word is worship. Okay? Worship. What I mean by that is here together on a Sunday morning, the presence of God is here with us. And why do we do this? Okay? One, first and foremost, to give glory to God. Okay, and this was cool. I learned this in the past couple weeks. But the word glory, okay, when it refers to in the Bible the glory of God, you know what that word actually means? It is that he is seen for who he is, okay? Because God is holy, God is perfect. So when we desire to give glory to God, what we are saying is, God, that we want our lives to reflect who you are, right? So when, when we talk about we don't want glory for ourselves, we don't want to lift ourselves up, we want to lift God up, and we want God's glory to be seen. By everything that I do, I want God to be seen for who he is. So it's important that you're here as a big group. It's not like if you're not here, we're going to call you and be like, hey, where were you at church? Because we took attendance and you weren't there. What's going on, right? I tell my wife sometimes, I mean, she's tired, I'm like, stay home. You don't have to come to church. There's nothing in the Bible that says come to church every week. But we do think it's important that you gather with God's people, right? So worship, number one. Number two is community. The main way that we want to focus on community here at Creekside is small groups. Small groups run during the school year, okay? And so at the end of the summer, you're going to hear about how you can get involved in a small group. We want you to be involved in a small group because we think that people grow well when they're in one-on-one small group relationship with people. There's no way that in this big group of people, those relationships could happen on, a, on the deep enough level that you grow in your relationship with Christ. It'll happen a little bit. But we want you to get deeper. So get in a small group. I know that's intimidating. I have to talk to people. My goodness. All right? It's, it's intimidating. But we want you to be in a small group. Trust me. Take that first step. If you don't, I'll come pick you up. I, I know where you live if you're in the directory. If not, I'll find out. And I will come knock on your door. Anyway, I won't really do that. 
Um, number three is service. This is what I want to focus on just for like 30 seconds longer than I did the other two. Um, but we believe that everyone is born with some talents, right? God has given you natural talents. We also believe that when somebody comes to Jesus for salvation, God gives them his spirit to dwell in their heart. And along with that comes a spiritual gift, all right? You can read about these spiritual gifts in the book of Ephesians and Corinthians, but um, is a spiritual gift. Now, some of you are like, I never knew that, and I have no idea what mine is, okay? So for the rest of the year, we want to do a really good job helping you figure out what your spiritual gift is and how you can serve. And what we believe about service is, first and foremost, again, as we serve the kingdom of God, we are serving the glory of God. So as we serve, God is seen for who he really is, right? And number two is that as we serve, this is what the Bible says spiritual gifts are given for, is for the building up of the church, right? So that we can encourage each other, so that we can come, be encouraged by each other's gifts, and then go back out and tell the world about Jesus, right? And number three, we believe that if you are using the gift that God has given you, it is one of the primary, primarily best ways that you can grow in your relationship with Jesus. Because you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, you want to create stories where he's actually using you in other people's lives. And when you see God use you, when you experience God using you in someone else's life through something that you are passionate about and something that you are good at, trust me, you will grow in your relationship with Jesus. So worship, community, and service. And all that to say, once in a while, I'm going to put a little plug in for something that we need. All right? Now, Every time that it comes to Sunday school, I love making announcements about Sunday school because it's always, at least in the past six months, it's been um, we have a great problem on our hands. And so we need to end that problem by filling a spot, okay? I call greeter ministries and Sunday school first 15-minute ministries. What, what that means is, especially people with kids, it doesn't matter if the sermon stinks it doesn't matter if the music is mediocre. If their first 15 minutes, okay, think about the first, maybe it's your first time here this morning. Think about your first 15 minutes here, okay? First 15 minutes. If the first 15 minutes are not a good experience, they ain't coming back. Even if the sermon is awesome and the music is great, they ain't coming back, especially people with kids, okay? So what we need, if you are, raise your hand if you're outgoing. Everybody's afraid now to raise their hand. Gretchen, raise your hand. <laughs> she, she, leaked, she leaned over. She's like, I'm not doing that. If you are outgoing, we need somebody who is outgoing. Here's what we need, okay? Walking down the hallway, you could be a new person going to Sunday school and you have no idea what to do. And you're putting your kid in the hands of some people who you don't know. Right? So when you, by the time you get to the classroom, maybe you feel comfortable, but it's the getting to the classroom that is the problem. So what we need is halfway down the hallway where the bathrooms are, okay, not, not by the bathrooms, but across from the bathrooms, we need somebody to be standing at a table just with a smile on your face and welcome people. The only thing you need to know is what age groups go to what classrooms, okay? That's not hard. And you say hi to people, and then you say let me show you where your classroom is, and then when, you get, when they get there, you tell them how to check in and then check out. It's that easy. So if you can do that, all right, all y'all people who just raise your hand, including Gretchen, if you can do that, okay, you come see me, you can see Connie, you see Deb Short, which she's not here right now. You can talk to Bob, too. He won't be very helpful, but you can talk to him if you want after this. He's a nice guy, he's, even though he's from Carlisle. It's all right. Anyway, occupying your street. How are you doing? Occupying your street. I'm going to ask that question. At... What in the world, dude? What are you doing? I have... Are you kidding me? I have not seen you for... Are you Kent Cavern? How are you doing, buddy? Great. How are you doing? That, that's really you, Kent. Now, I hear you talking about this occupying your street. What the heck is that? Well, I'm going to tell you. Um, we, we say it all the time around here. I know you're new, but... Um, it means that it doesn't just mean where you live. It means um, where you work, where you uh, eat, where you get your hair cut, where you work out. Everywhere that you go on a regular basis, that defines your street. So we say occupy it with what? Occupy it with the love of Jesus. So that's what, that's what we mean when we're talking about occupying so You were talking about like work. What about kids? 
how are you gonna like occupy the kids on your street? They don't go to work. Yeah, you know what? I actually heard um, there's some people been talking around here. Don't you have like, an opportunity for people to occupy their street with their kids? Isn't Cave that Quest VBS. That's next Sunday, isn't it? Next. That is next Sunday. My oh, goodness. Oh, jeez. Yeah. And guess what? How many people here have a car? Everybody. Okay. <laughs> it would be great if everybody filled up their car with kids and come on down, right? Is that a good idea? <laughs> that would that would be a great way would to occupy count? their street. That's that would definitely that would count. count. Oh, good. That would definitely count. All right. You can't steal kids from other churches, um, but on your from your street, you can fill up that car and bring it here. But you know what? I'm sure that to run something like that, you need volunteers. You need, you need help doing that kind of thing? That's a good point. So, since you're already going to have a car full, you're already going to be here, you might as well stay and help, right? Yeah. I mean, you could be upstage with me, singing. <laughs> but, Mama Cavern over there, she's the one you can go to, and she can plug you in and say, hey, this would be a great place, we need help. So we'd love to see you all there now. Since there's going to be, like, what, 100 carfuls of kids? Yes, yes. My stalactites in the back are getting a little dusty. I'm going to clean those okay, off quick yeah. All right. before anybody Thank gets you. here. Everybody say goodbye to Kent. Thanks for being here, Kent. Good to see you. I'm not sure anybody's going to show up now because we all know he's going to be singing up front. But uh, anyway, let's pray before we dig in to the, to the word. God, thank you um, again for your grace for us. Thank you that we can sit in peace, um, God, even when we make mistakes, even when, um, man, we've been far from you. God, you're just waiting with open arms to throw a party for our return, and um, God, we're just thankful for your grace. I pray uh, that you would open our hearts to see straight this morning. God, to think about our lives and what, what is proven by the way we live our lives. God, we ultimately want, we desire to give you glory um, by the way we live our lives. We want who you are to be seen. And so open our hearts now uh, to, to just take in your word and live by it. Because the knowledge of it is not very helpful, but living by it um, changes people and changes us. So thank you, God, um, for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 6. Again, three-quarters of the way through your Bible, page 6 or 811 on my Bible. Um, you can get it. If you, if you need a good uh, Bible app to get on your phone, Version Bible app is a good, um, is a good Bible app. Um, anyway, we are, this morning we're going to continue in our Sermon on the Mount series, and this is essentially Jesus has... His followers, his disciples, it's not the whole crowd that was following him before he went up on the mountainside, but it's his disciples, the people, not just the 12, but the people he, who he would really say, you are committed to my message, not just attracted to my miracles. He's saying, if you really want to know what it means to live as part of the kingdom of God, here's what it looks like. All right, so you've got to ask yourself this question every time we open to the Sermon on the Mount. You've got to ask yourself the question. You've got to do a self-check. Where am I in my desire to really live as a part of the kingdom of God? Because like I said before, you can be a Christian but be held captive by so many things and really not living this out. This is how we show the glory of God. This is how we show who God is. So... Matthew 6, let's read from verse 19 to 24. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and Money. All right, we have this thing at our house. Um, we stole it from 
uh, Randy and Sherry Nesbitt, so it's a good idea so you can steal it from us if you want. Um, it's, it's just actually really fun. Every once in a while, Heather and I will come up with a plan of something fun to do with our kids. And if it involves packing for them, we will pack for them, and we'll have everything ready to go. And then when we have all the kids to go together, we'll look at each other and we'll go, Road trip! And we'll yell road trip, which means they have five minutes or less to be in the car, shoes on and clothes on. And you're like, clothes, that's a given, right? Well, and not in my house. It's not a given in my house. Actually, my kids prefer to be half naked most of the time. Just a warning if you want to ever show up at my house um, uninvited, you're going to see a bunch of crazies running around. Um, Last week we did one where we were, uh, we took them, at, they got out of school last Friday, not this past Friday, but a week ago Friday, they got out of school and we had packed all their stuff ready to go overnight to stay in a hotel up by the Mall of America, right? So they get home, we sit them down, we say one, two, three, road trip, they all get ready and they're like, oh, where are we going, where are we going? We're like, just trust to get in the car, get your clothes on, get, you know, um, because they just gotten home from school and for some reason when they just get home from school, both my boys just strip down. I don't know what the deal is, but they just, boom, I'm hot. I hate clothes. I've been sitting in them all day. I'm going to take them off, right? Um, and so it's like, get your clothes back on, get your shoes on and get in the car. Um, so they get in the car and we, we're like, anybody have any guesses where we're going? And they start guessing. They're all wrong, of course. Um, actually, Margot said a hotel. I have no idea why she said a hotel because we didn't tell her that. But she was the closest. So we get in the car, we get going, um, and usually all of our road trips in the past have been like five minutes away, right? So we're, uh, we're going, we put a movie on, they get distracted. Two hours later, they're like, where are we going? Are we, I mean, they're like upset. Are we almost there? You know, the whole are we there yet thing, even when they do know um, where they're going. And so we do about five or six road trips. We've done about five or six road trips. And occasionally, when we say road trip, we'll have a straggler. Right, and so that straggler, it's actually, it's usually Micaiah, um, and he's just like, I don't want to go anywhere. Do I have to put my clothes on? Do I have to put my shoes on? If I put my shoes on, Dad, you have to help me. You have, no, no, Micaiah, you know how to put your shoes on. Dad, you have to help me. I'm like, you put your own shoes on. I'm not putting my shoes on unless you help me, Dad. Right? So we have this straggler, and so we have to say to him, for whatever reason, he thinks that whatever he's doing at that moment is more comfortable and more fun than what we have in store for him. Right? So we have to say to him, all we say to him is, Micaiah, do you trust us? Do you trust us? Because they want to know right away, like, where are we going? Where are we going? Where are we going? And we, we never tell them. They want results right away. It's the same thing with God and us. The way we act, the way we live our lives sometime, we'll be saying, God, I want results. I want this now. I want this now. I want this now. I want what I can see, touch, feel, possessions, comfort, all this stuff. And God is just saying, I know that looks good, right? I know that's tempting. And he's like, most of the time he's like, I know that's tempting. I created it, right? But do you trust that what I have planned for your future is so much better? Now, as we go on and I talk about money, Here's what I don't want you to think about money, okay? I hear this all the time. People say, money is the root of all evil. Well, that is nowhere in the Bible, okay? What does the Bible say? It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So when I talk about money in the negative sense, I don't want you to just think of money. I want you to think of possessions. I want you to think of our thoughts. I want you to think of all of these things. Anything that we would put more value on than God in our lives. So I don't want you to think of money as a bad thing to have because God provides for us money. He, either, he even says you need to work hard to provide, right? He who doesn't work doesn't eat. Now that's actually in the Bible. You've got to look at it in context, but that's actually in the Bible, all right? So money's not a bad thing. 
It's what you do with it and the value you place on it compared to the value you place on God. Okay? So let's go to verse 21 real quick. That's where we want to start. It's halfway through. It says this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I have two things for you. I'm breaking my rule. I have two things. Okay? I want you to write these down. If you're writing things down, get your phone out, text them, lock them in the vault. Okay, I don't care if you forget anything else, you remember these two things. Hopefully, you'll remember some of the details of the message. But number one, we will always protect our greatest investments. We will always protect our greatest investments. And number two, our investments are held in our hearts and revealed by our hearts. Now, when we talk about investments... It's going to be interchangeable with what that verse uses as treasures, okay? And how we're going to define that is where we spend our time, energy, resources, thoughts, efforts, etc. Those are our investments. So, we will always protect our greatest investments. When you deposit money in the bank, you want that money protected, right? It's the same thing when you deposit time, when you deposit energy, when you deposit acts. We want those things protected, what, how do we protect the things that we've already put time and effort into in life? We put more time and effort and talents and money and possession. We put more time into those things to ensure that we have them for the rest of our lives. So how you spend most of your time will in turn dictate how you will spend more of your time in the future. You get where I'm going with that? Whatever you hold as most important, you are going to put time and effort into, right? The only way to protect investment is to put more time and effort into that thing. And number two, our investments, our treasure is held in our heart. Our heart is the seat of our emotion where we feel things, where we think things, where we live things Inside, it's where, it's where good things are thought up and it's where bad things are thought up. It's the seat of our emotions. So we hold those investments, the things that are most important to us, our treasures, we hold those in our heart. And they are, what those are, are impossible to keep hidden. Do you understand that this morning? The things that you hold most important in this life, they are impossible to keep hidden. Because the way you live your life and where you put your time, where you put your energy will reveal to everyone else around you, but more importantly to God, what they are. I should be able to ask anybody who I'm really close to in this room. You should be able to ask the person you came with if you're super close to them. You should be able to look, look at them and say, what, what, do you, what, do you, what is most important in this life to you, Right? And they can't possibly give you a bogus answer, you know? Because their answer should match up with where they put all of their time and their efforts and their thoughts and their prayers, right? So we're going to look at the rest of this passage to prove that this concept is true. That our investments are held here, but we can't keep them hidden. They will be revealed to the world and proven to God by our life. Proof is in your life. So verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, in the Greek, that word for treasure is the word thesaurus. It is the same word used in both verse 19 and verse 20, but in the Greek, it separates it out into two tenses. When this word is used in these verses, it's used in both tenses. It's the same exact word, but there's two tenses to the word. One is the literal, tangible, what I can see, touch, feel, treasure. The other is the intangible, what I cannot see, what I cannot feel, what I cannot touch, what I cannot taste. It's the intangible. So in verse 19, 
when it says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. In verse 19, the original language uses the literal sense of that word. So this is what it means. Do not lay up for yourselves money, possessions, idols, gold, silver on earth that are more important to you than God. Don't waste your time laying up those kinds of treasures on earth. And then in verse 20 it says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And the tense of the word that it uses, the sense of the word that it uses in verse 20 is the metaphorical sense. So this is what it means. Lay up for yourselves untangible riches. (laughs) Sorry, how does this sound good? Right? I mean, to the normal person, that's not, that accounts for no fun in this life, right? But if you remember, we talked about a few weeks ago that everybody's deepest longing is not to have riches. Everybody's deepest longing is to be known by God, whether they know it or not. Everybody's deepest longing is internal. It's not external. But what do we do? We lie to ourselves and we think that filling that void with external treasures is going to fill the void internally. But God's telling us right now that's not the case. It's never going to be the case. Ask most celebrities who have more money than most of us could ever dream of. That's not the case. Our deepest longing is to be filled internally. These are the results and the rewards for our actions for the kingdom of God that we might never see. But what is God saying to us? Do you trust me? Do you trust that what I am offering for everything you do for my kingdom, do you trust that that's better than everything you could seek here on earth? If our treasure and our investment is revealed by our life, the question becomes, what does our life prove is most important to us? And here's a question I want you to consider this morning. Can you, can you walk away from here? Whatever car you're driving, whatever phone you have, whatever comfortable bed you sleep in, can you be content and okay in this life if the rewards of your life lived are never seen or realized until heaven. Can you be okay with that? we got to wrestle with that question. Can you be satisfied if nothing that you do for God results in tangible rewards here on earth? Now, I want to say this. Living your life for God does not always result in untangible results, okay? God may bless you on this earth with, with results that you can see, touch, feel, smell with your senses, right? He might, but there is no guarantee in the Bible that any of the rewards that come from living a life for Jesus are tangible, right? It's just the truth. The question is, are you okay if it happens that way? Are you okay if they're not physical? But they may be this. As you live your life for the kingdom of God, as you occupy your street with the gospel, the results that you see from your life are lives changed around you for God. People set free from sin. People hearing and responding to the love of Jesus. Does that light your fire? Because if it doesn't light your fire, then where are you in your relationship with Jesus? Those kinds of results should light your fire. If it's true that your deepest need is internal and not external, and you are in love with Jesus, then the intangible results of your life lived for the kingdom of God should be absolutely enough. Right? Is that the case in my life? In our western, comfortable, suburban lives, are we okay if our results from life are intangible rather than tangible? I want you to turn over. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it. You can look at it on the screen from 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 12 to 15. 12 to 15. Now, this is Paul writing to the 
church in Corinth, okay? And he is talking about what we are talking about from Matthew. He's saying that someday there's going to come a day that we're going to stand before Jesus and that passage that we just read is going to be proved true. He said there's going to be a difference between the things you did on earth for earthly value and for earthly treasures, between those treasures and between the treasures you built up in heaven. And here's how he describes it. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, and that foundation is defined right in the verses before that as Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation, which is Jesus Christ, with gold, silver, precious stones, Wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. It will be shown for what it is. For the day when we stand before Jesus will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as through the fire. So starting at the beginning of that, I want, I want you to see this too. We've said this before, but I can't say it enough. Especially for those of us who have been church for a long time, when we're dealing with people as we occupy our streets with the gospel, and if you're here and you have not been saved for a long time, or you're not saved, here's the deal. The foundation is Jesus. Which means he's the first thing laid. Which means that you do not have to get your life together before you come to Jesus. You don't have to lay all these other stones of righteousness on top of a foundation that's not even been laid yet. Okay? Get that. The first thing we do, you don't have to know more about this book, and you do not have to get your life cleaned up before you come to Jesus. You come to Jesus, and then he changes you. Because we've said this, but you can't change yourself anyway. Let's just get that straight. Jesus is the foundation. What? are you doing? What have you done with Jesus? And then we build on that foundation. We build on that foundation. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to stand before Jesus someday. All of the things I ever did are going to be laid bare before him. And in that moment, you would think, I'm like, oh, That's embarrassing, right? But in that moment before Jesus and his majesty, I don't think we'll be embarrassed. Because if you are in Christ, you stand there, and the day we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it is not about our sin. Because you know what his plan is? <laughs> his plan is to burn it all up and to get rid of it. Like, where'd it go? It's ashes. It's gone. This is not about your sin. It's all gone. Right? So when I stand before Jesus and everything I ever did is laid bare for all to see right there before him, and it's tested by fire, right? Everything, what survives the fire of the things that are list listed there? Gold, silver, precious stones. They might change form, but they survive the fire. What does not survive a fire but turns to ashes? Wood, hay, straw. Burns up, Right? The gold, silver, and precious stones represent the acts that I did on earth from a pure heart for the kingdom of God, right? And I may have never seen the tangible results of those things here on earth, but standing before Jesus after it's all tested by fire, boom! It's all revealed. And there it is, my pile of treasure. Assuming I get anything, is my pile of treasure. Is your pile of treasure. And all of the sin, and all of the selfish acts, and all of the treasure that you built up while on earth that you cannot take into eternity is gone. You see what it means by he will suffer loss? It says you, you might be saved but as through the fire. Like you can't lose your salvation once you come to Jesus. You're in heaven. You're secure in heaven. Right? But if all the acts that we did while on earth were building up treasures for earthly things, it's all going to be gone in an instant. And I will have suffered major loss. I'll still be thankful and happy that I'm in heaven. 
But here's what I believe. This isn't in the Bible. So this is just, when I stand before, this is just me. When I stand before the Son of God, the Savior of my soul, the sole reason that I stand before Him in heaven and not in hell, and my heart is bursting with thankfulness, I'm going to look at what I have left, and I'm going to say, gee, I don't know what else to do with this, but Jesus, it's yours, right? I, I, you have to take everything that I have. It's all yours. Here it is. Take it from me. And I, for one, do not want to stand before Jesus empty-handed after the fire is done. But here's the deal. Even if it doesn't happen that way, even if, I'm, even if we're not going to give it back to him, we know we will be rewarded for the things we do for the kingdom of God. We know we will be rewarded if we spend our time, treasure, and talents on things for the kingdom of God. And I, for one, do not want to work for earthly things that are going to burn up in an instant. Everything I worked so hard for is gone. I want to work for treasure that I can take with me into eternity that I can enjoy for the whole of existence in eternity, which is, guess what, forever. Isn't that what we want? But here's the tension. Here's the hard part. Satan lies to us daily, telling us that the temptations that this world has to offer for all the good things that this world has to offer, all the fun things that this world has to offer, is more satisfying for the temporary time that we could be satisfied by it than eternity. Right? That's because I don't think we really grasp with our finite minds how long eternity is. <laughs> we got to think about that. Verse 22, back in Matthew, verse 22 and 23, read this. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What in the world did that just say? The eye here is the eye of your mind. It's a look into your life, and it begs the question, are you seeing straight? That phrase, if the eye is healthy, in the King James Version reads literally, if the eye is single. The Greek word is hapfis, which literally means seeing single. Do we have any Rocky Balboa fans in here? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. All right. My favorite is Rocky IV. I've seen it more than any other movie on the planet at least 20, 25 times. And when he's fighting the Russian, he sits down and he's like, I'm seeing three of them. I'm seeing three of them. And his brother-in-law is like, hit the one in the middle. Hit the one in the middle. Right? Because when we're knocked around by things from the outside and we get some little brain damage, there's no possible way that we can see singly. We see three of everything. We see two of everything. Uh, we have kids, and they have friends, and we do a lot of camps, so we play a lot of games, right? And inevitably, somebody, this is not to discourage you from sending your kids to camp, because we take care of your kids, but inevitably, somebody gets hurt, right? It just happens, and I'd prefer it to be an adult that gets hurt, um, but sometimes it's a kid. And um, so when I come to realize that moment that they're just being a drama queen and they need to get up and stop being a sissy and keep going, it's like the moment I realize if it's a serious injury, I won't do this because that would just be bad. But um, if, if I know, and most of the times it's my own kids, like, come on, come on, get up. Um, I'll go up to them and I'll say, hey, how many fingers am I holding up, right? If it's a head thing, I'll say, how many fingers am I holding up? And they'll say two. I'll say, nope, three. We need to take you to the doctor. Up, you know, and they'll be like, <gasps> but I'll quickly fix that and say, no, I'm just kidding. You're good. You're good. Get back in the game. You're fine. Stop whining. Um, it's just like that spiritually, right? We are the same way. When our eye is healthy, we are seeing clearly we will be single-minded, not double-minded, not double vision. We will be single Minded with a single devotion to God, walking straight. This does not mean you will not make mistakes. It does not mean you will not still sin, right? God's grace covers those things. But we will have a single devotion to God, and then our whole life will be full of light. When we are not seeing single, it's probably because of outward 
influences that are battering us around, that are holding us captive or inward sin that we still haven't chosen to let go of. And if those things are the cases, we cannot possibly see single. We'll see triple, we'll see double, and we'll just keep trying to hit the one in the middle, and most of the time we're going to miss. Verse 23 finishes by telling us this, if the thing inside of you that is supposed to be light is actually darkness, then how great is that darkness? It's not a great good thing. It's like how great, how big, how dark is that darkness? And then verse 24 gives a solution. It says you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. And the original word for money there is mammon, which means things of this world, idols in place of God, money possessions that we put more value on than God himself. Do you get what I'm saying? Again, money's not bad. The love of money above God is bad. And here's the solution. The Greek word for serve, serve two masters, in that sentence is not a word that implies an employee to a boss. It is implying a slave to a slave owner. And to Jesus' audience in that day, they would have been very accustomed to slavery because it was, it was a cultural norm. And the penalty for um, being a, a, a traitor, like really leaving one master and serving another master, was absolutely serious. Okay? And so what Jesus is saying by this is it is impossible it is impossible to effectively see clearly when you are trying to serve God and mammon. When you're trying to serve God, heavenly treasures, and mammon, earthly treasures. It's absolutely impossible to see single when that's true in your life. So number one, we always protect our greatest investments. And number two, our investments are held in our hearts and revealed by our lives. What do you hold most valuable? Because your life will prove it. The, the band's going to come back up. And we're going to get ready to take communion. If the eye is single, single devoted to God, then you will be full of light. But like I said at the beginning, there's some people, and this is when, at the end of the message, you get to make it personal. Okay? Some of you are here, and you've come to Jesus for salvation and forgiveness but you feel trapped by something in this world that is causing you to see double. Whether it's external or whether it's an internal sin, you feel held captive by some stronghold in your life and you're not free and you don't feel peace. Some of you are in the room and you've never come to Jesus for salvation and you need to be set free. And maybe you're in this room and you are just absolutely joyful in your walk with Jesus and everything is good. Nothing's fine, because we don't use that word, freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. That's it. Nothing's fine, right? But things might be good with you. And so this is how you need to think about the people that are lost in your life. What we're offering to them is freedom. What we're offering to them is freedom. And when I think of it in those terms, I have a lot more compassion for the people around me. Because I know what non-peace feels like. And I know what captivity feels like. Is your life filled with the light of Jesus and has he set you free? So, we have two tables up here and one in the back. If you're a believer in Jesus, you come and take. Guess what? If you take it and you're not a believer, it's only bread and juice to you. But here's what we believe about it. Is that Jesus gave it to us, not as anything magical, but as a symbol that says, as often as you take this bread and this cup, I want you to remember me. It doesn't do anything for us. It doesn't save us. It doesn't put us in, in, a, in a higher place, a position with God. It does nothing for us except for that Jesus gave it to us, and now we get to take it and say, thank you, Jesus, for my freedom, right? And so as we sing these next songs, that's what we need to consider. Like, am I really living in freedom? Is my sight single? Or am I seeing double? And what is holding me captive to make me see double? And so during this time, as we sing these songs, just ask God to reveal that thing to you. Ask God to reveal to you what in your life might be making you see double. 
Because we want to see single. Because if we see single, our whole body will be full of light, full of freedom, and full of peace. Let's pray. God, um, just thank you. Thank you that freedom is offered in Jesus. And that when we don't feel free or at peace, God, I pray that in every heart this morning you would reveal the things that are causing double vision. God, we want to be single devoted to you. We want to love you, we want to know you, and we want to build up treasures that we can enjoy in eternity and not things that will burn up when we stand face to face with you. Thank you that that is our future, God, that we get to stand face to face with Jesus and worship him forever in his presence. And we will really see his glory, him for who he is. In Jesus' name, as we worship now. down into every heart. God, that this week coming up, that you would cause us in your spirit to just think about the things in our lives that we are storing up, whether they're earthly or heavenly, Father, and we just want to be seen, we want to be tested, and we want to reveal your glory. And so, Father, um, challenge our hearts, not just here, but as we leave and as we go throughout this week, to see single and to be holy and wholehearted, single devotion to you, God. And that's where real freedom really lives. And so we thank you for your grace when we mess up. Um, we press on toward the goal, and that is heavenward. Lord, we love you, and uh, we give all that we are and surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing one more song, and uh, it says that we are more than conquerors. It doesn't just mean you have the victory. It means you have more than the victory, and you have complete freedom, not just for what is future, but what is for right now. Complete victory. Anything that comes your way in the name of Jesus can be defeated, already has been defeated. So let's sing this together. <laughs> 